day, she kills herself with causeless lamentation, and everything by way of consolation that they can find they press upon her there, hoping to draw her from this dark despair. High stood her castle close beside the sea, and there with friends she wandered frequently to take her pleasure on the rocky height. Their ships and barges passed before her sight, sailing their courses where they pleased to go, but that was part and parcel of her woe, for often to herself, Alas, cried she, is there no ship of all the ships I see will bring my lord home? Then my bitter pain were healed and all my heart were whole again. Another time she would sit there and think and let her eyes go downward from the brink, but when she saw black grisly rocks appear, then would her heart so quake for very fear that she could scarcely stand upon her feet. Then on the green grass she would take her seat and gaze upon the sea with piteous eyes and murmur thus with cold and woeful sighs, O oh God, eternal, wise and provident, guiding the world by thy sure government, men say that idly ye have fashioned nothing. But these black rocks that fill me full of loathing that rather seem some horrid desecration of labour, Lord, than any fair creation of a wise God, stable in everything, why wrought ye so unreasonable a thing? There must have been a hundred thousand men destroyed by rocks, though I forget just when, men that so fair among thy works are rated that in thine image they have been created. Then it appeared thou hadst great charity for mankind, Lord. But how then can it be that ye take such devices to destroy it, which do no good but injure and annoy it? These rocks destroy my very heart with fear. So she would say, with many a piteous tear. Her friends soon saw it was no pleasure for her to wander by the sea, but pain and horror and planned for other games and wanderings. They led her off by rivers or by springs or other places rich in loveliness. They played backgammon, danced or sat at chess. So once, when morning lay upon the land, unto a garden that was close at hand, in which they planned to have a celebration with food and various other preparation, they go for play and pleasure all the day. And this had fallen upon the sixth of May, which May had painted with his gentle showers this garden full of leaves and shining flowers, and craft of man's hand had so curiously arrayed this garden that for certainty its like was never seen for loveliness, unless in paradise itself, I guess, it was so full of joy and radiance. After the dinner go they forth to dance and also sing, save Dorigen alone, who always made her sorrow and her moan. For in the dance she did not see him move who was her mate and also was her love. And as they danced, among the other men there danced a squire before this Dorigen that fresher was and jollier of array, in my opinion, than the month of May. He sang and danced better than any man that lives or has lived since the world began. And to describe him, as I hope to thrive, he seemed the best appearing man alive. 
young, strong, and wise, and rich, and high in station, and well-beloved, and good in reputation. And briefly, if the truth must be confessed, though Dorigen had never known nor guessed, this lusty squire, by name Aurelius, servant of Venus, loved her, and had thus, as was his fate, adored her for two years, but never dared, besieged by doubts and fears, to tell her how his love and suffering went. Without a cup, he drank his punishment. It may well be he looked upon her face as a man gazes when he begs for grace, but nothing did she know of what he meant. Yet now it happened that before they went, because he was her neighbour, and she knew a man of consequence and honour too, and she had known him since some time before, they fell in speech, and ever more and more toward his purpose drew Aurelius, and when he saw his time spoke to her thus. Madam, by God that made this world...